What up, what up, Meepsters? This is Ryan Rainbro, and if you're hearing this, that means you're about to listen to one of the 99 free episodes of the Meep Meep podcast available wherever you cast pods. But keep in mind that there are new and unreleased episodes of the show on patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. So you'll want to sign up there to hear future episodes and also other side projects like Choo Choo, the show about soundtracks and contribute suggestions for future episodes as well. Will I listen to your suggestion? <laughs> There's only one way to find out. Patreon.com slash meetmeetpod. Bye! Welcome to Meet Meet, the show about the music that made us with the musicians that made it. Let's roll! What up, what up, Meepsters? I'm Ryan Rainbro, and today we're discussing what we're all about. It's rock. It's what we're all about. It's what we live for. Come on, shout it out. We're talking about Sum 41 and their single, It's What We're All About, released in 2002, 20 years ago, on the Spider-Man soundtrack. And you might be thinking, well, Sum 41, I didn't know they were on Roadrunner. Well, you're right. They weren't on Roadrunner. But two things. One, (laughs) I don't care. And two, this single actually was because it was on the Spider-Man soundtrack, which was a joint venture between Roadrunner and many other labels, including but not limited to Island Def Jam. So we got to speak with Cone from Sum 41 about making this song and all its iterations, because of course it starts off on their Half Hour of Power album, shows up later on in the intro to the Fat Lip video. And Fat Lip is an interesting song, and Sum 41's an interesting band, because not only are they still going strong today, but Fat Lip is one of those songs that everyone in the world knows. You know what I mean? They can live off of that song forever. They don't have to because they got other hits after that and before it. But everybody knows Fat Lip. So much so that there was a band called 41 Down once. And they had a demo song called Peach Fuzz. And they ended up getting signed to Jeffin Geffen Records. Okay? And that record label made them change their name because they said that some 41 Owned the number 41. What? I thought Bruce Springsteen did with that song American Skin. 41 shots. Remember that? Yeah. That's a lot of shots. That's like, I mean, 50 Cent would be pretty hectic going through 41 shots. But uh, 41 Down ended up changing their name to Trust Company. Re-recorded Peach Fuzz as Downfall. Went on tour with Chronic Future and Papa Roach. And threw out a drumstick once. I caught the drumstick. The drummer took the drumstick away from me. Said I wasn't hype enough for their set. True story. And I still hold on to that grudge. I want. What if I wanted to learn to play the drums? I still can't play them. I can barely program a drum machine. And it's all that guy's fault. So if you know him or if he's listening, let him know he can get it anytime. All right? Or, you know what? I'd be willing to let bygones be bygones. Send me a replacement drumstick and sign it because I think that that song is cool and it plays at Planet Fitness a lot when I'm there. But that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about Sum 41, who by the time It's What We're All About comes out, I'm intimately familiar because I used to have to go up to Grandma's house for Thanksgiving, okay? And Grandma didn't have cable. 
She only got a couple of channels. Luckily, one of those channels was UPN, so I could watch SmackDown. And the other channel was Much Music for some reason. She did not live near Canada. But Much Music, so all I got to see all the time was Swollen Members videos... Some 41's Makes No Difference, Cardinal Official, and the rapper Snow, remember, Informer? Okay, well, he had another hit in Canada, at least on much music, called Joke Thing, where he's riding around in a Vespa. I vividly remember that. So, by the time It's What We're All About comes out, I'm fully indoctrinated into the Sum 41 lore, okay? And this video and song has it all. It's got rapping, it's got rocking, it's got Spider-Man, it's got Upside Down, it's got Carrie King from Slayer in the video, on the song, ripping a solo. Probably right around the time he's ripping that solo on Hatebreed's Perseverance on Final Prayer, remember that? So, he's versatile, he can do it all, hit him up if you need a solo, he's got plenty of time. And speaking of time, none of it is guaranteed, so you made the right choice by spending yours the right way, by listening to this interview with Cone about 2002's It's What We're All About by Sub 41. Both a anomaly with some 41 and also omnipotence. You know, it's it's on half hour of power. It's on the first half of Fat Lip and the music video. Then you record it again. And, uh, and you know, the, the Carrie King with being in Slayer, of course, not necessarily on Roadrunner, but like a heavy metal guy. You know, you know, it's like this Beastie Boys rap while talking about how rock is what you're all about while you're rapping about it, which is cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it, it is strange that way, actually, now you bring it up. We're rapping about that we're all about rock. Um, uh, I never actually thought about that before, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so it, yeah, it did start on Half Hour Power. It was kind of like a two-song thing. It was like called Dave's Possessed Hair and What We're All About. And we actually had like a hip-hop, an old-school hip-hop guy, MC Shan, rap on it, too, on that version. Um, I guess what happened was, uh, you know, after, so we released Half Hour Power. Then we released All Killer no filler and then you know spider-man was coming out and they wanted a song because we were like you know a hot band at the time and but they wanted something like fat lip and we were just on the road so much like we didn't really have time to go back home and try and come up with something new so we said why don't we take this little section of the song from half hour power and 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 expand on it and so we got rick rubin involved and uh so we went to the studio a couple of days with rick rubin and he was kind of you know you know, he's like the wizard behind the board and he's trying to come up and he's putting all these beats behind it and like, you know, snare samples and all this other stuff. And, you know, he had worked with um, Slayer in the past as well. So he knew and he knew Carrie, you know, Carrie used to play on some Beastie Boys songs and stuff like that. So, you know, he got Carrie to do a, a ripping guitar solo on it. And really that was kind of, it, you know, we replayed, like, I think I replayed the bass and, you know, we had to add some vocals and stuff like that. But the chorus became the chorus and uh, that was kind of it. It was very quick because, um, like I said, we didn't really have a lot of time back then. It was really the first song that we had recorded after All Killer No Filler. And we'd been on the road. Like, I think the year All Killer No Filler came out, we'd played like 300 shows or something in a year. Uh, so we, like I said, like we didn't have any time to do anything. So it was this whole process for what we're all about came very quick. And I do remember also doing the video. <laughs> we were, it, it had to be because we were in the middle of tour. So it was like we happened to be in Toronto for like two days. And um, our, our director, Mark, Mark Klasfeld, flew out from L.A. And, and Carrie King flew out for it, too. 
And, uh, you know, just for basically, if you see, like, it's a ridiculous video. Yeah, you guys are just being, you know, spider-like men hanging upside down. In this warehouse for like 12 hours, you know, trying to play upside down for this video. And, uh, you know, we had like fans from Toronto come and um, it's, it's, it's a strange video. Like we, we look weird in it because like you're hanging upside down. So your face is kind of like it just and, and you're kind of hunched like this because your harness is pulling you up. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not one of my favorite videos. It's not the director's fault. It was pro- it's our fault because we, I think we came up with the idea. Uh, but, you know, having Carrie King in it kind of saves it all. And uh, that was I think that was the first time we actually met Carrie. And, uh, you know, he's a nice dude. But, you know, he, you know, obviously coming from Slayer, he's also a scary dude. You know, he walked in with a tattoo of Satan on his head and, you know, the whole bit. And <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the story behind it. Um, and then, you know, obviously it was in Spider-Man. And I think it was a single for Spider-Man, which is cool. I think my kids think it's cool now. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, we're in the middle of Spider-Mania all over again. Spider-Man's like the biggest thing in the world 20 years later. Yeah, I guess they're redoing it again. So now they didn't call us this time, though. <laughs> well, you said a couple of things that actually blew my mind a little bit that maybe I should have known. But the first thing is I, <laughs> I didn't know Rick Rubin produced this song. Yeah. Which that seems crazy. Like, what was working with him like? Like, what kind of input did he have? Because he's, of course, a famous producer who is also very successful, but he's also kind of famously like hands off, I guess, is like maybe a good word to use. Yeah, for that song, he was pretty hands on, actually. You know, I think we were only in the studio with him for maybe two days. And really, he was trying to arrange the song in a way because he was taking the parts from Half Hour Power. And now we were trying to create a song out of it. Um, And we had to like add a verse or whatever. And we added a bunch of like other little nuances in the song. Um, so I think that was like one, one day was kind of spent him like kind of with headphones in front of the board. And we were just kind of sitting back watching him and he was trying to arrange the song in a way. And I know he was, like I said, like he was putting like a lot of samples under things like, you know um, I think he, I think we used like an audio slave or a red hot chili pepper snare sample under it because he had worked with them. So yeah, that it was pretty mellow. Like we didn't, you know, and then obviously the other guys did a lot of hip hop stuff and I re-recorded the bass uh, but yeah, I mean, Rick, I know why Rick is so big. You, you could just see it. Like he, he, he's just, he, he does things in a way where he does it to the, where he likes it. So he's just, he's really got good taste. And, uh, and that's, that's basically what a good producer is. It's just, it's your taste. And he obviously has impeccable taste because he makes all these great records and he doesn't try and push your band in a way that's not you. He just does, he just does, takes what you do and makes it the best it can be. We'll be back after a quick break. If you love good music and good podcasts, you'll love Roots Music Rambler. I'm Jason Falls. My co-host Francesca Folinazzo and I talk to the singers, songwriters, musicians, and more in Americana, alt-country, bluegrass, folk, blues, and beyond. We share our own takes on the latest news in the space and recommend new music for you to explore every episode. Come get to the roots of the music you love. Find us at RootsMusicRambler.com or go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to Roots Music Rambler. And that was just somebody that you requested to have on the song. And that's, it was, it was as simple as that. Cause I know you guys, like you said, you're really hot at the time. So you probably could have anyone you wanted, but. Yeah. I think what, what it was, was we were on Island Def Jam at the time and Rick Rubin's label American recordings was, was partnered with them at the time. So Rick was kind of a part of the label. We, we would see Rick um, at, at like Island Def Jam parties and stuff. So, you know, I think we had met him before just like having beers at this in New York city at a, at a, you know, a party. 
Um, so I think it was just kind of a, you know, I think our, you know, our A&R guy or someone just said, you know, some 41 is doing this Spider-Man thing. You want to be involved. And he was sure, you know, because he knew, you know, Fatlip was out and he knew we were fans of the beastie boys who he had done. He knew we were fans of heavy metal and all this other stuff that, that he's into too. So I think it was a good mix, a good matchup. Now, Rick Rubin also famously owned a wrestling company, Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Did he ever talk to you about wrestling or did he ever try to pitch a wrestling music video for this? Carrie King no, coming off the top rope? No, actually, I didn't even know that. No, we never talked about that. You know, Rick's a very like mellow guy. Like he he taught like he speaks, but like it, like I said, in the studio, he was very focused on um what was what was happening and you know it was you know we we had just come off of a, a record um all killer where, where jerry finn was our producer and they were pretty much they're super different um you know jerry didn't like to even really go into the studio very much and watch you record um he liked to sit out in, in the room and wait till you were finished and then come in and approve it and you know we watch movies and laugh and one of the funnest experiences ever recording an album with jerry finn because it was just like you know 21 years old we're just screwing around with rick it's kind of like it's business you know it's like let's get this done let's make it great okay well that makes sense that he wouldn't be, he would be focused on the task at hand and not uh sharing <laughs> wrestling stories but um the music video i did not <laughs> for a moment think that you were actually upside down i figured it was just like you filmed it one way and then flipped it and then filmed the crowd so you're actually playing on the ceiling like literally yeah like like so if you look at the video again if you watch the video again you'll see like a lot of us like it's because yeah they had this big harness under our clothes and and really flipped us upside down and playing off the ceiling like playing guitar our mics were like our were like i don't know what they were strapped to the ceiling our mic stands and we were literally playing upside down because you could see us like in the crowds, like right there. And that that's real. Like the crowd was under us, you know, it was, like nowadays, I think you could probably do some kind of video effect to make that work better. So we didn't actually have to be upside down, but back in 2000, whatever one it was, yeah, we had to really do it. But yeah, like that video shoot went till like early morning and then we had to fly out right away. I remember getting in a, in a van and heading back out on tour. Like it was there wasn't a lot of time back then. It was just like, go, go, go. It's, But, you know, 21 years old, we could do it. Well, plus, that's just rock and roll as hell. We're going to fly in. We're going to do the video. Carrie King's going to casually stop by, too. Then we're going to get in the van, hit the road again. I mean, that's, that's all pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, having Carrie was good. Now that I think back about, you know, Slayer's no longer, it's like, so cool to have Carrie in that. means he's not doing anything so maybe if you want to have him come out on this run with you you guys can recreate the song you guys don't really play this song live right we have done like snippets of it like we've done um like the chorus uh, but i don't think we've really done the full thing front to back i i mean we it was just kind of a soundtrack song at this point you know like so we don't really think of it too much anymore now around this time too i mean a, a couple years later just kind of in the the hip-hop aspect of it Lincoln Park and Jay-Z put out this collision course album where they do like the mashups and mixes. And then there was this rumor that that was going to become like a series. So one of them was going to be corn and them franchise boys. And the other one yeah. was going to be ludicrous in some 41 and you guys do get back with him. Yeah. So did you actually do that with him or did you just record an instrumental track and he like, you know, they put his vocal over it. 
No, yeah, we uh, like we went to the studio at Ludacris. We, um, yeah, again, I think we were in New York City this time, but um, you know, basically went to the studio and worked out the the music for it. Like he had like kind of a mock up of what he wanted, and then we just expanded on it. And he wanted it to be kind of like you know hard hard rock metally kind of. Um, so we came up with this music for Get Back, and then he came in with um, I think his his guy with him was Little Fate or something like that. And uh, they basically came in. This the, the recording with hip hop guys is way different than rock because rock will spend hours on things. Literally, Ludacris came in with Lil Fate and sang the song, maybe rapped the song two or three times in a row, and said, "That's good." And he literally was like, "I'm out of here." And we're and our and the producer was kind of like, "Yeah, you, you want to try a couple more?" He's like, "No, no, you're good. Just mix it now." And that's I was like. We all kind of looked at each other like, holy fuck, that's amazing. Like, you know, we spent months on records, like, just like trying to make everything perfect and feel good. And, but I listen back to that song now, I'm like, it's fucking great. Like, he rapped it perfectly. Like, I wouldn't have changed anything. And he did it like three, did it in like three takes. Well, yeah, not only perfectly, but it almost sounds like, like, a, that's why I was even asking. Like, it could have just been the original vocal track because it's like identical to the, you know, album version that we, we all know, but that, that is funny because, I mean, you probably spend a day and a half on a bass tone, right? And he's like, you know, 15 minutes, I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, and, and the thing is, they, they did it live together. Like normally, you know, in rock music, you sing your lead vocal, then you have a guy coming after and do harmonies. They did it together at the same time. So they're playing off of each other, recording this track together. It was, it was great. Was there more plans for that, like more collaborations with him or it was just a, a one time thing? Yeah, I think it was a one-time thing. We were on the label. He was on Def Jam at the time. We were on Island Def Jam, and, and we did play um, Saturday Night Live together. Ladies and gentlemen, Ludacris featuring Sum 41. Yeah, it, was just, uh, it was never meant to be a, a full record or anything. Was that ever thought of to just do like a rap rock? I mean, you guys have so many of these like things that are kind of sprinkled throughout, and you did mention you're a fan of the Beastie Boys, but you know, after All Killer, you kind of go like just rock rock. It's like even more borderline metal but was that ever a thought to like just kind of do these like rappier songs uh not really i mean we 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 still you know we we did like this little thing with uh dmc of run dmc at the alternative press awards in 2016 Uh, so stuff like that comes up like we're still we're basically you know we're really big old school hip-hop fans like we all listened to that growing up in the 80s um so like run dmc was a huge thing for all of us um so yeah i i don't think we never we, we never really planned to do like do more hip-hop or stuff but stuff like that just pops up like Ludacris just said hey you want to do a rock version of my song we're like yeah cool and uh you know i think we approached dmc to do this thing in 2016 but um yeah, it's, you know, hip hop's always been kind of a, a part of us, you know, obviously with Fat Lip and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, stuff just pops up, really. DMC just, I feel like for the last like 15 years, has just desperately wanted to be like a rock guy. He like puts together all these rock bands. He just really wants to be a rock and roll dude. I, so I'm glad that you're helping contribute to that dream for him because I want it for him. 
Yeah, it's funny hanging out with him. Like you could tell he really does love rock. Like he wears all, all his T-shirts are pretty much like rock and roll T-shirts, like ACDC and Stones. And, um, uh, you know, obviously he's a big hip hop guy. He's one of the most influ- he was in one of the most influential hip hop groups of all time. Uh, but, yeah, I think he has a real soft spot for rock and roll. And uh, we are we are actually supposed to do a song with him. It just hasn't materialized yet. But he's uh, yeah, he's just I think with DMC, he's just he's an excitable person. He loves music like he's just really into it. And um, it's 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 cool to be around that kind of energy, that kind of guy. It's cool that he's still just so hyped up about music this many years later. Right. Too, he's like not jaded because that's how I would be. I think I'd be like, oh, you know what? I've seen it all. I'm ready to just chill out. Yeah, I think with those kind of guys, like because he's he's older and he's been around so long, I think you probably he's probably went through the jaded phase. You know, you know, like he was in Run DMC, one of the biggest hip hop groups of all time. And then I think as like Nirvana hit and squashed everything, um, and grunge came in, then you kind of go probably go through these phases of being jaded and hating things. And and then he's you know he's just he's just a good guy and he's just a good dude. And um, you know he probably just like everyone you just get over that kind of phase and you know like everyone kind of goes through those phases where you get a little jaded and you hate things or or if your band's not as big as it used to be you kind of start to hate on every other band that is popular um every everyone really it's it's hard not to go through those phases at the time but then you come out the other end and just still be happy that you're able to do what you do and he also they did kings of rock where they (laughs) rapped about being the kings of rock for uh they were Degeneration X's theme song. I have a, a lot of wrestling analogies for all this. <laughs> they were part of Degeneration X, and they, like in the like late '90s, because I think they were like, "Hey, you know, we did this rap rock thing in the '80s, and now it's popular again. Like, why are we not getting these uh, these big tours?" I mean, that was pretty much the first rap rock song was, uh, you know, the Aerosmith thing. Yeah, and I guess, you know, then then you get your Limp Biscuits and all that kind of stuff done. But, you know, that was kind of, they kind of paved the way for that, you know. It's just like, you know, every other thing in music, something paves the way for something else and then it becomes huge. Even though, you know, Walk This Way was a massive song at the time anyway, so. Where does the name Cone come from? Well, it was a it was a high school nickname, um, you know. When we all the whole band we met in high school, like we all um, were in different elementary schools, and we came to this high school, and uh, we met in ninth grade. I met Derek in geography class when we were fourteen, and we all, you know, we were all in different little bands. Like some forty one didn't exist at the time, and you know, I played in the grunge band. Derek was kind of in the same kind of little grunge band. Dave was in a metal band, and so we'd all we all kind of made friends and we used to play basement shows together like someone would have a basement be like oh let's go over to your house this weekend and we'll all all of our bands will play and we'll have a party all of our friends can come and so we 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 became really good friends in high school and um so we used to go to the cafeteria every day and eat lunch together and i i wasn't like at the time i guess i wasn't really a big lunch guy so i would just used to go to the cafeteria um, you know, buy where they buy the food, the concession of the cafeteria. And they used to have this like ice cream cone called the great Canadian cone. And it was this pre-wrap packaged ice cream cone. And every day I, I would buy one of these ice cream cones and just come down, sit with my friends and eat this ice cream cone. And while they were eating their lunch, I just eat an ice cream cone for lunch. And so I think it was maybe Derek, he just started calling me cone. 
And that's when we were like 14 years old. And now I'm 42 this year. <laughs> Nickname hasn't <laughs> still here. It's still here. Are you still passionate about ice cream cones though? A good ice cream cone, it's hard to beat. You know, I still do like, I'll still go and get, there's some great places down the street from my house in Toronto that have, um, you know, lactose free ice cream. So when you find a good one of that, like a coconut milk ice cream, oh yeah, yeah I'm still a huge fan of that. Were you, uh, were you into the Spider-Man movie when it came out or were you like jaded by it because you're like, oh, I've seen these clips so many times now I'm in the movie. I'm getting. No, I thought it was cool. I think we, we went to the premiere. I remember going to the premiere of it. You know, at, at that age, you know, being, uh, you know, 21, if, if our song was in something like that, we were, we were pretty big fans. Like we, uh, you know, it's, 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 it was amazing at that time to be that young and that new to it that, you know, your song is in this massive movie now. Like before that, it was like, it was the movie called Bring It On. And we had a song Makes No Difference in that movie. And that was like the first one. And I remember going to see it where we grew up and we were all like, when it came on, we went to see it and we we're like, yeah, you know, cheering in the theater. Like we had made it. We were in Bring It On. <laughs> and uh, I transferred from Los Angeles. Your school has no gymnastics team. This is a last resort. So, yeah, the Spider-Man one, I think, you know, we were pretty excited about, you know, because we knew it was going to be one of these blockbuster movies, um, you know. And actually after that or before before after that, we actually turned down for I don't know what reason. Well, I do know the reason, but we turned down Zoolander. What is this? A center for ants. How can we be expected to teach children to learn how to read if they can't even fit inside the building? Around the same time. And, I, you know, we, I think we all kick ourselves about that now. But they wanted us to re-record uh, um, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go. You know the scene where they're, you know Zoolander, the oh, movie? Intimately, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in the, you know, the gas station scene where they all spray each other with the ga- with gas, the, the Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is a song behind that. And they wanted us to cover it and redo it. Yeah, yeah, because that was like the gimmick of the Zoolander soundtrack is it would just be bands uh, covering these 80s songs. Like the big single off of it was Power Man 5000 doing um, uh, Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. And so they brought us in to see like a, you know, like a a pre-screening of it and just show us the movie, what it was going to be. I was hung over. I actually fell asleep through like an hour of it. And we woke up and everyone was like, yeah, that's movie's great. And uh, we're like... You don't want us to redo that song for that scene. It use the original. It, it you know the original is going to be way better than us doing a pop punk version of "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." And they ended up doing it. I'm glad. I'm kind of glad. I'm glad, and I'm not glad. I would have been nice to be in Zoolander, but I'm glad we didn't ruin the scene doing a pop punk version of "Wake Me Up Before You Go Go." You but sacrificed yeah. for the art of that film. You're a hero. Imagine some 41 would have ruined that scene. It was maybe you know things might be different today. Thanks so much to Cone for hanging out with us upside down, making out in the rain. You can catch Cone all kinds of places, actually. Sum 41 has been on tour all year in 2022 with Simple Plan for some reason. I thought that they hated them, but apparently now they're all friends. And isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful thing. People coming together from the same country in unity. 
And isn't that kind of an inspiration? Isn't that really the simplest of plans? Isn't that where we're the sum of all our parts? But not only can you see Sum 41 on tour with Simple Plan, but they have Tom from Gob in the band. Because Tom originally joined when Dave left. And then Dave came back, and instead of just kicking him out like uh, Seven Dusted to Sonny Mayo when uh, Corey came back, they just let everyone stay and hang out and play guitar. And that's pretty sick, because I saw Gob with Zebrahead on the Fishhead 3 tour, where the poster was uh, like WrestleMania 3. It's Andre the Giant Hulk Hogan, but it was Zebrahead and Real Big Fish with Gob. And they had a song called Ming Tran. And uh, I don't know if they really have a friend named Ming Tran. And I don't know if Ming Tran is the name of the guy on Comic Book Men that used to play on AMC after The Walking Dead during the first two seasons when that show was tolerable. But I do really like it. It does riff hard. My friend Kenny Lush and the band Daggermouth and I talk about God a lot. And Sum 41 have a double album coming out this year in 2022 called Heaven and Hell. The Heaven side will be kind of like the poppier songs that they're known for. And then the Hell side is a concept album about the state of Ohio, I'm guessing. And that's only one place you can find Cone. Another place you can find Cone? In his cave. Because Cone has a show, a radio show, called Cone's Cave on 94.9 The Rock in Toronto, Canada. North America. And it's at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen on therock.fm every week. And here's an important part about that show. So he plays whatever music he wants. He doesn't care. He, did, did Cone sound like somebody that cares and is letting anybody tell him what to play on the radio? No. But what he'll also play is he's looking for just anything that's good. And that includes, but is not limited to, unsigned bands. Now, that's not a focal point of the show, but it is a, it is a part of it. Now, as we talked about throughout that whole episode you just listened to, what's a big thing? Covers, okay? Collaborations, all right? Now, Island Def Jam comes up a lot. You know who else was on Island Def Jam around the same time that Sum 41 was? That's right, of course, you know, the Insane Clown Posse. And we never got the ICP Sum 41 collab that we desperately needed. But now, here's your chance to make that happen and make it work for you. You record a cover of your band doing a Sum 41 ICP collaboration. You send it into Cohen. He plays it on the radio. He takes you on tour. They kick Simple Plan off. They're going to start fighting again. And now that's all happened because of who? Yes, me. And me is the first half of Meep. And this is Meep Meep. I'm Ryan Rainbow. You can follow the show on Instagram at Meep Meep Pod. You could have heard this episode early already. Ad free on Patreon.com slash meet me pod you should have been doing that maybe you are doing that though so if you are you'll have to forgive my critical tone and you can join me each and every week that i put out an episode with more episodes but until then again i'm ryan rainbow this is meet Meep, and yes that's the best that i could come up with bye